Hello and welcome to the Hulkcast. As usual, I'm James Rushton. I'm actually not joined by Danny Raza this time. Uh, it is Phil Vogel, 7500 Hulk's own Phil Vogel. He's done a lot of uh, really important work on the blog behind the scenes. He's kept things running, kept things ticking over, match coverage. He's always there. Phil, how are you doing? I'm doing well. That'd be better if yesterday went better, but you know, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. No, really happy for you to step in at the 11th hour. Of course, uh, Danny's actually ill today. We went to uh, Fulham yesterday, my first away game, and we went to Fulham. And uh, he was really Ill, Ill on the coach. I'm not sure how he managed to sneak that backpack full of uh, full of drugs into the stadium. But he managed. Oh dear. Yeah, <laughs> he managed to sneak sneak a big old backpack full of uh, medicine into the stadium, pill himself up. But um, it's uh, it's beyond him today. He did sing his heart out yesterday. Of course, you probably heard it, mate. Um, the Villa faithful on the on the TV singing out. So you definitely heard it. Uh, he was singing his voice out. And yeah, he 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 really wasn't up for it today. He, he's got an important he's stage today. Yeah, yeah, really is. He's got an important thing coming up in his life as well, which I'm sure he'll tell everyone about soon enough. But uh, yeah, best that he rests his, his important throat. You know, those dorset tones, and they need mm-hmm. to be kept 100%. 100% exactly like uh, two players we had, we had missing yesterday, uh, pal. Phil, um, we missed Albert Adoma and Jack Grealish. Massive impact, right? Yeah, I mean, brutal. You never want to see injuries going into an important match like Fulham. But to those two... I'm not sure if there's two people Villa could afford lose less, except for maybe the center backs, but that hurt. And it was clear oh, that they were missing any of the creative aspect. It was lethal, wasn't it? Um, I didn't expect it to be that much of a blow off for, okay, we can step up here, Rahan can move up and be honest and maybe can drop back. Maybe we can put Snodgrass or Alamahamadi on the right and things don't change. You know, it was maybe a bit too hopeful. And we, we really got run over against Fulham. Of course, we went away to Craven Cottage. Seven game winning streak. I think it was a bit too much to ask to play one of the best teams in the league off the park with without two key players. These are two players that probably fit into any team on the league, right? Yeah, and they're just players that can take over a game and even they can do it in stretches or the entire game. And we, we've seen Jack the last couple of weeks just playing out of his mind and he makes everyone around him better. And seven game win streak it's going to fall back to earth and i think the absence of those two just helped it crash faster well i think if you said to me i mean the loss is disappointment but if me and you you know had in one of our conversations had a bet and you told me hang on would you take 21 out of 24 points i think i'd take that (laughs) (laughs) i think i take that you know that that maximum that, that amount you know you just have the one loss that's fine um it was it was gutting, of course, you know, traveling all the way to London and just seeing your team get dunked on from the halfway yeah. line, which I think is how I put it. Uh, we'll go we'll go into some of the moments of the game. I think the first half we we did give it a go. Bjarnason looked to kind of thread those those through balls to Scott Hogan and Hurahan. But uh, it was a bit scrappy. I think we were trying to wind up Alexander Mitrovic, of course, a guaranteed red card, really. You know, he, he will get sent off for any team that he plays for. We saw it so much with Newcastle. Um we went into the first half, it was scrappy. Then the second half, we really got damaged. And I'm not sure what entirely happened because I couldn't really see our goal. Um, but uh, for the second, the first goal, it's a normal goal. Ryan Sessanon, brilliant player, makes advantage, yeah. takes a goal, scores. It happens, uh, he had to, of course, escape from that grip of uh, Axel Tuanzebe, who did such, he did an incredible job of that right back position. Yeah, marked uh, Sessanon out of, out, of out of the game. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think everyone was kind of worried and everyone was curious about the formation, but he came right in 
and just locked down that right back. I mean, even for a while, I think it was in the first half, Sassignon got switched over, which was a clearly Fulham going, oh, well, this isn't working. We might as well try something else. And he just got open yeah. in the middle of the box. It was a good bit of play from Fulham. Yeah, uh, Fulham. I mean, I was on the Cottage Talk podcast and I was getting really nervous after that because, you know, you hear Fulham fans talk in such great detail about how their team played an expansive open attacking game. And Ryan Sessanon is so important to that. And the fact that they had to change a lot of their play just to get Sessanon away from Tuanza Bay, it, it speaks volumes for the man. His first senior game for Aston Villa, first full 90 minutes, may I add. And uh, probably the the big, the most difficult moment of his career, starting without much match, match fitness in a a do or die championship battle, and he did a really good job. And I, I'm really excited to see what we have in him, mate, for the rest of the season. I totally agree, and I know we'll probably get into the lineup later, but putting Elmo in front of him probably helped settle a lot of those nerves in the first half because you know you have a right winger who also plays a lot at right back who can kind of cover up some of those nerves early on until uh, Axel settles in. Yeah, of course, I think uh, Almo is someone we don't really focus on much. He, he does bag the assists for us. He does put in a shift. And he does, of course, have a lot of the ball during every game. But we don't really focus on Almo because I think it's the, that type of, almost like Leandro Bakuna, where you, he's not the most stylish player and you, he, he kind of goes invisible for most of the match despite having such an important role. And uh, it was good to see that when Tuanza Bay came in, that all the plaudits went to him rather than him just being a, an important piece of background furniture. Yeah, he's going to grow. Um, and hopefully he grows this spring with Villa. But, I mean, his parents' cl- club has to be thrilled with him getting that kind of play right away and in such an important game. Yeah, I mean, if that carries on, Manchester United really do have a special kind of player. But yeah, the second goal, um, as much as Tuanza Bay tried to keep Cessna out of the game, for the first goal, they scored through Cessna. It was always going to happen. Um, Villa pushed maybe just a little bit towards uh, Fulham and opened that space for Cessna. He scores. The second goal didn't need to happen, mate. Um, would you go into any detail on that? I mean, it's just, uh, it's Johnstone taking the free kick in the right back position. Fine. Fair enough. But... You cannot put it straight to a Fulham player who doesn't have a Villa guy within 10 yards of him in any direction. And yeah. like it's not a simple thing to put the ball in the net from the midway line. But, I mean, anybody at this level is going to probably do that seven out of ten times or more. It wasn't good. Um, I, I, I have vivid memories of the ball kind of floating in the air and just dropping in. And just the absolute exact aspect you know, exasperation. It it wasn't great to watch, um, especially on TV. I guess, I mean, it might have been easier for you to take in because you can probably see it going in maybe three or four seconds before it actually goes in. I was hoping it would go over. I was like, please, just anything, just take it wide, take it over. But I think you guys watching through AVTV, you know, that following, that, you know, boys in every week, watches the game at 6 a.m. in the morning. Uh, I don't think there was much mercy for you, unfortunately. No, no. I mean, it was, it was clear as day as soon as he controlled the ball and he put it in. I just had flashbacks to Brad Guzan. Oh, yeah. Um, Sam Johnston, as much I think he's been an excellent player for us this season. Oh, certainly fantastic. Saved, certainly saved us a lot of points. And uh, I think there's a, a there's a lightness on it in the fact that it's, it doesn't bear so much weight on the game because we're already one goal down. I mean, it does chuck the game away for us, but hang on a minute, we're already losing. At least it hasn't happened when we're 3-2 up against Burton to make it 3-3. Something like that destroys it. I have to give him that almost. At least the mistake's out of the way in a game that was kind of already going. 
Yeah, I mean, this is a forgive and forget moment for John Stone. He's been brilliant. And this is dumb. And I'm sure he knows it's dumb. I'm sure he's been told it was dumb. But like you said, it was 1-0 and Villa weren't weren't playing that great. It it looked like it was closer to a 2-0 than a 1-1. So it happened, but the second half just offered not much hope in general. Yeah, I think there, there was a, a problem with Sam Johnson earlier in the match when uh, he pushed Tom Kearney over, um, the Fulham playmaker in the box. Um, he has got a bit of that about him. He has got that almost snarkiness, and I do appreciate that, but I think you need to get the fundamentals right if you're, if you're going to be that type of player because it, it can backfire straight in your face like it did. Um, but I think he's the right type of character to learn from that work. He's just got to work on that distribution because it's going to, yeah. you know, you can't do that. Um, you it's can't his give one it big weakness. I mean, he's not great coming for crosses on corners sometimes, but his one glaring weakness is the distribution. Yeah, I have to, I have to completely agree with that. Um, you do see so often, and he has had that in him to, you know, it's almost like Galini last year, like just wildly punt it to get the ball away and it doesn't work out at all. But yeah, it's improved. He's done a really good job of um, saving Villa's arse this season. So, I, you know, all the plaudits. I think he's earned one mistake and now I'm glad we got it in a way. Glad we got it out of the way almost in a match that was just gone. Uh, I think a lot of people say, you know, 1-0, we're in it. That Villa team kind of weren't in it at all. Um, the lineup. We'll go, there was, a, of course, the key changes in Grealish and Adoma missing. Um, but Bjarnason was expected to do a lot more attacking play. And I think we treated him quite unfairly on Twitter. Uh, not you, but ABFC Twitter in general saying he was crappy. He, he got dispossessed loads, let's you know, be frank. But I, I really feel it difficult to single out a, a single player for being terrible in that performance. Um, I think Onoma... Was was probably maybe one of the poorest performers, but again, be, uh, you know, he's been played left wing, which isn't his position, and you just saw him try and cut into the middle to a natural position so often, and it didn't work. Uh, there was a lot of ideas that just didn't work in that game. Uh, the long balls to Lewis Graben, who came on late, and Scott Hogan weren't working, and of course, when we played three strikers with Davis, who came on, uh, the plans weren't working. The match was beyond us, um, but I can't blame Villa too much. Almost is it? Would do you have any agreement with that? I actually thought the first half Villa played well. I mean, they played the game they wanted to play. Uh, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't sexy. It was the way you're going to try to snatch a winner from Fulham is frustrate them and then find a goal. And I thought everyone played okay. The midfield, as they did more so in the second half, they just kept giving the ball away. And if you're going to play that defensive way, when you get the ball, you either counterattack quickly or you slow it down and you try to find a way through. And I mean, the midfield and Bjornsson, and I gave him some slack on or some flack on Twitter because he did give the ball away. So did Horhan though. And yeah. like, it was all around. Um, Anima, like you said, in the second half came on and just looked kind of clueless, which I, I get Bruce making that decision because green's out injured. And I'm glad we know that now um, because Snodgrass he just can't play on that side. He's just totally uncomfortable. And Snodgrass was the weak link in the first half. So you switch him over, you put him in his natural position, and now Anima's out of position. There, there wasn't a winning formation with those people. Uh, do you think, well, we'll get onto the, the games, the, the coming games in a bit, but do you think it maybe calls for a formation change to a 3-5-2 or anything that will kind of lessen the importance of our two wingers? Because if we don't have a left side, oh, 
if then I saw I think I saw you and Alex going back and forth about that and that would I get it we have that personnel to do it I mean especially if you take Axel and you put him as like the right side center back next to Terry and Chester and then you can play Elmo as a wing back and Hutton as a wing back I mean that that can work you can do that um the problem is does it does it end up being a five at the back, sitting back, and really negative against Preston? Like that's the danger with changing that formation is if they're not used to flying forward on the wings, then it could just turn into some terrible football. I have to agree. I think Villa aren't the best at deploying new ideas. I think what Villa do well is uh, well in is find a formation, find a role, stick to it until they find a you know eventually naturally find the winning game plan and that winning chemistry like we've seen so so often especially this year you know those seven games were built off being steady and reliable but of course um the engine room and uh, our expansion on the wings faltered but when we don't have Grealish and Adoma we lose it so such a vital part of that team and we've got worries I think do you want do you want to wrap up Fulham is there any final thoughts you've got on Fulham before we move um, on um there's one thing in the first half and it might have been on the other side than you it, Horahan looked like he had a decent penalty shout. At one point, it looked like he got dragged down. I still haven't seen the replay of it because, I mean, AVTV never replayed it, and I don't think the highlights are up yet. But I'd be curious because that whole game changes if Villa find the first goal. I think Bruce said it. The first goal changed it, as goals always do change games. But if Villa can find a goal, then they can sit back and play their game. Yeah, um, of course, if you can sit back and allow Fulham to try and really run at you, then you've got that counter opportunity that just frankly wasn't there that whole game. Um, I As for the penalty shot, yeah, it was a bit far away and I was at a slant. So the depth's out and the length's out. And you, you see someone go down, you just scream for a penalty anyway. So that, like, yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I yelled at my TV. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, when you see your player go down, you yell for a penalty. That's what we did. Uh, I don't know if there's much in it. Uh, I, think, I have no you know, idea. I haven't. I haven't seen it, but I'd be curious to see it. I think what I was more worried about was the fact that none of our players would really pull the trigger on a shot or a cross. Um, I saw Alan Hutton, you know, running down the flank so many times, just not pulling the cross off, or Bjarnason, especially in the first half. Was, he just, I just crack the shot, take the shot. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's you know, I'm not going to sing. It's a problem our whole team has. They just won't take that shot or won't take that pass. Or, you know, the decision making always seems just a second off. But yeah, uh, I think Fulham could it could have went a lot better. Needed that first goal. Um, predictions are way out. I think I said 3 2. Uh, so don't judge me on that, mate. <laughs> I said 1 0 to Villa. So I, uh, I wasn't much closer. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, somewhere in between. I think you'll find the result. Uh, between us but yeah uh, we'll move on we've got Preston midweek on Tuesday that's at Villa Park uh, we're looking we'll, we'll, we'll plan we'll speak as though we don't have a Doma and Grealish I think it's so important that, those, that at least one of those players come back but I think it might be just uh, just a bit out of their reach I think Sheffield Wednesday certainly looks more likely for Grealish I don't know about a Doma I think that's a, a bit of a, a few weeks out maybe at, at most yeah that's what it sounded like from Bruce it sounded like Grealish was close uh, Doma less so. Yeah, I think uh, you, you know you, we, we're not thinking about those two coming back until at least I don't know. Grealish, I said Seth Sheffield Wednesday maybe, but a Doma, I think you're looking at you know clear the week and then we can talk about that. Um, Preston, 
on Tuesday is going to be a real battle because, again, it's another team hanging around the playoff spots that really wants to get three points against Villa, really wants to condense that playoff onto that promotion pack and really, you know, finish the season so well. And what better way than uh, to give Villa a bloody nose at Villa Park? You know, uh, they've just come off that loss, come from uh, Fulham with that loss, going to Villa Park, pressing there, giving them a bloody nose, condense the pack, get those three points, start, you know, end your season well. Uh, I think like Villa have a lot to lose in this game all of a sudden. Yeah, I totally agree. I just, I really hope it's not Caleb Robinson. Don't, don't <laughs> do that. Yeah. And that, of course, Daniel Johnson, who we didn't see anything yeah. of in a Villa shirt, who's become a, a real key player for Preston. Preston, you know, uh, dwindling league one side, always been uh, for uh, the early years, especially when the championship was turned from division one into the championship. Remember them being in the playoff on every season until they dropped into League One and bounced back and they're kind of establishing themselves as an upper, upper card, especially championship side. I think they're under Alex Neal now. Um, of course, they've got Cal- Callum Robinson, they've got Daniel Johnson, they've got Fretz, and uh, I don't think I've seen us do well against them ever. I think we've only played them twice since I've started following Villa when I was you know, two or three. Uh, I don't think we do well against Preston. I know they, I think they were one of the teams that ended Di Matteo's reign last season and they were one of the teams that we couldn't beat at Villa Park when we had that winter slump I think we went 2-0 up and they may have dragged it back to 2-2 or maybe even 3-0 up and they dragged it back to 3-3 Preston I rate them highly I'm really worried about this one to to be honest I think Villa have there's so much pressure on Villa to bounce back yeah and it's midweek you can have some tired legs at least it's at least it's at home and hopefully Villa can find a goal early because I'm sitting here looking at Preston statistics. They scored 30% of their goals in the last 15 minutes. That's not good for Villa. Yeah. You remember the Di, Di Matteo reign far too well yeah. then like me every <laughs> oh, 86th minute. Then next week it'll be the 87th thing. It'll be the 88th. Yeah. Uh, thankfully we haven't seen Villa do too much of that this season, but it's, it's always on the cards, uh, especially if you're tired, especially if it's midweek. And it's something Steve Bruce has said. We've we've played the same players through injury, the same players every week. They're gonna be they're gonna be shattered. It's a, it's a short week for this game. You know, it's two two or three days in between. And uh, Twanzebay, who was you know the hero for the last match, was really shaken at the end, according to Bruce, due to his fitness. Do you start him against Preston, or do you go back to Almo right back if he's not injured? Because there's talk about that now. I think you probably go back to Almo because I mean Axel hasn't played much. He just played 90 minutes. He played very well, and he never stopped running. But if he's shattered, you have to give him the day off because we're going to need him throughout the rest of the season. And, like, Elmo can do that job. And then go bring in, like, let Snodgrass play on that side. And then go grab O'Hare and put him on the left. Are you you you're going to give a shout for Callum O'Hare? We haven't seen him in a while, have we? No, but he's playing decently for the reserves from what I can read. And he's he has that youthful confidence, which is somewhere in between stupidity and confidence. And he, he'll just go for it. And Villa need that. You think uh, he, he has the role to play? What do you like about O'Hare then, apart from that confidence? What have you seen in him from your play or what you've read about him that goes, yeah, he's a man to start out left for Villa? He... It's not just the confidence. He also has the skill. He, it's like a young Jack at the same time when he was at that age where the ball would stick to his feet and he would look to go past people. Without Jack and Adoma, 
really there's not many Villa players who are going to look to beat a defender. Snodgrass will if he's in his natural position. But most of the time, like you were saying, with the decisions being that little bit off, Callum O'Hare, from what I've seen, isn't going to hesitate. He's just going to go. And it may not always work, but uh, it's... I enjoy that, yeah. I enjoy yeah. that in a plan. You can't argue with it, can you? And uh, O'Hare, I think Bruce, is, is, he's not like reluctant to bring in the youth players. I think he has certainly... For, you know, We can't argue that because Davis has been a mainstay. of the, He's been in and around the team and he started for a good batch of games. And I think it's desperation calls up against when we didn't have that striker, when he didn't have any confidence in Hogan. He brought in Davis and it, it did work for that period of time. Um, I think now the, the duty is calling. We, we are calling for that on the left side, aren't we? We're calling for Callum O'Hare. You know, mate, if he doesn't start the game, at least be on the suspension because we do need it. We're going to have to alter our tactics because that left side is really damaged at the moment. And it's scary. To be, I mean, to if be you frank. look at Fulham, anyone who played on that left side just didn't work. And now, granted, if you have a couple of days of practice, maybe Anima or Snodgrass can get used to playing there a little bit. But neither of them are particularly good on that side. And so you might as well put someone there who's played there and who's comfortable in that position. I mean, at a stretch, would you say, be honest, and if, if we ignore O'Hare, because just because yeah. he's young, I, I mean, I would love to see him start, but... We have to think about that Steve Bruce being in charge. You know, there's been plenty of times when O'Hare could have come in earlier in the season and we didn't really see it happen. Yeah, it could definitely be Bjarnason. Um Actually, I think when I first saw the lineup on Saturday, I thought Bjarnason would be out left. Oh, yeah, I definitely thought that as well. And I thought that maybe Tonsbe would be central midfield or defensive midfield. And I'm glad I was wrong. Um, yeah. I, I think Bjarnason. Was a wing, he was definitely a left-sided player when he played in the Swiss League and when he played in Serie A for Peshara. Um, but that's that's a different ball game. It's not a championship. I mean, he, he lacks the pace, but I think he has got enough about him to be, you know, we don't play Robert Snodgrass for his pace. If no. uh, Bjarnason can uh, find any of the form that he had in that, those Swiss Leagues in the Europa League, you know, in that European football, we could wing it <laughs> to accept yeah. pardon the pun. But... Uh, I really think we need to pull something out of the bag against uh, Preston. If we can grab the goals, good. If Hogan can do that little bit of magic that he's so good at doing, or if Hohan can find the uh, time to uh, snipe one in from long range, we, we really just need to take a win any, anyhow or anyway. Um, I won't go too much in on Preston because uh, it's a, not a team I've watched much of. It's not like uh, you know a, a Fulham or, or a Reading that I've seen loads of this, or a Leeds or a Bristol that I've seen loads of. Um, but yeah, I, I am scared of um, the... It's just a narrative, really, that I'm scared of is that Preston can do whatever they like. It's, you know, the expectation isn't on their shoulders. It's on Aston Villa's. And that home crowd can get a bit too expectant. And the, pre- the pressure's there. The pressure's there to drop. And it'll be, we'll see the making of Villa, I guess, what their season will turn out to be. will be largely defined by what we, can, what we can do against Preston. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, the Fulham and Preston games were always the picks of the month to look at, like, they're going to have to grind out some points out of these two matchups, especially once Jack and Adoma go out. So can, can Villa find a way to find a win? Like he doesn't have to be pretty. No one's expecting this team to go out and play like they have over the last seven before Fulham, but just find a goal, find a way to win. It could be an ugly penalty. It could be a Terry header would just be lovely. Of course. Yeah. Cap it off perfectly. You just got to keep that momentum up. Just don't, make a habit of screwing up games or losing them, I guess. Uh, Phil, 
me and Danny, we always predict the games. Um, it's it's good fun. We our rule is the you have to get the exact prediction. You can't get just you can't just say win, lose, or draw. You need the exact result right and the exact prediction right. Um, I'm going to hand it over to you against Preston. What's the result going to be? Like who 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 wins? What's the score? I think it's going to be two one to Villa. Villa go up two nil, hand one back, and just a terribly nervous ending. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you predict- you called the Villa win. Um, I'm going to go for a 1-0 win. I think it'll be a nervy affair. I think a makeshift Villa side will really have to find their identity in a, a short space of time and uh, get that 1-0 at home. I think it'll be a bit nervy, like you said. Uh, but there, there you have it, mate. Uh, shall we move on to Sheffield Wednesday? It's yeah. a... Uh, I'm heading down. It's my it'll be my second away game. You know, week after the last one, uh, heading to the famous Hillsborough, of course, uh, the home of Sheffield Wednesday, deep in Sheffield. Last time we played them, it wasn't great. Uh, I think I'd sat down in my seat in the whole end when Ned scored. It was uh, Adam Reach who probably scored one of the goals of the season at Villa Park. Yeah, that was over early. Barry Bannon run the match as well. Uh, I'm, I would. Do you remember him at all? I don't remember him much of him at Villa. Uh, I remember him quite a bit. Uh, uh, my buddy and I, who I watch games with sometimes here, uh, we just call him Wee Bannon because he just was so small out there. But he was he was a fun player to watch. He he would pick a pass. It was never the easier, simple pass. He loved those. I think someone used to call him the Hollywood passes. Yeah, he was a re- he was a really fancy player. Um, there's a, there's a bit of snodgrass in him. Uh, he was he's a battler. Um, I do miss it. There's parts sometimes I do miss a player like Barry Bannon, especially. Um, He's a wide counterpart, Mark Brighton at the time, and even Andy <sighs> Wyman. I miss, I miss those bunch. Um, yeah. I do miss those bunch a lot. I think they gave us a, a load of fun in a really tough time to be a Villa fan. But yeah, things are looking up. Um, Sheffield Wednesday haven't had the best seasons. So we head to Hillsborough with a, a fair bit of expectation. Um, I guess this comes after a Preston match where we have a nervy win. We might have Jack Grealish back. We might even, you know, have, you know, we might have uh, formed a new identity in the meantime after, you know, hopefully winning against Preston. Uh, it still worries me that there's players like Bannon who can turn it on and they've got reason to. The narrative, again, is there for players, the Sheffield Wednesday team, to 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 beat Villa uh, simply because they do need to finish their season on, on a good note. They're not going to get relegated. They're not going to get into the playoffs, but they need they need wins because you've got to get the fans on your side when you're middling about. And they lost their manager, Carlos Carvajal, earlier in the season. They, they did sack him and uh, he went to Swansea to some decent success. But... Uh, I'm not sure what Villa, what Villa's plan is going to be here because at home you'll expect the win, but after being beaten so solidly by Fulham, do they try to go for Sheffield Wednesday? Do they sit back? Where does it lie there? I think it all depends on Preston. If Villa come out, find a win, look good, then you go and do it with confidence versus Wednesday and you can play the football that everyone wants to see, even on the road against a slightly lesser opponent that's not saying anything bad about them. You're just not having a great year. But if Preston comes out and beats Villa off the pitch, that's going to just crush the confidence. And then Wednesday could just be really ugly, where it's just batting down the hatches and it's nil-nil and really ugly, no shots on target until the 88th minute and then Villa get their teeth kicked in. Yeah, Sheffield Wednesday really haven't had a good 2018 um, since they've brought in, uh, I think it's Joost Lahuke, who's their new manager. And he's from, uh, he's a German manager, I believe, from the uh, SEC. He may have been a, a really successful manager in the second tier of the, the Bundesliga 2. Uh, don't quote me on that, please. Uh, I'm just going <laughs> on what I think, I, I think I've think i read. 
but uh, I do try and read a lot. I do try and be cultured. Um, but Sheffield Wednesday have really haven't had a good shake out of 2018. The biggest result, of course, is that win against Derby, which uh, midweek, which really propelled us into our game against Fulham to to do well. It set up the, the scene for us to uh, lead that second place battle by four points. That didn't happen. Um, they've been drawing left, right and centre. They got soundly beaten by Birmingham. Uh, I think the proof of the pudding is, can they do well against Millwall on Tuesday night when, you know, with the time we're playing? If that if they beat Millwall, they've won two on the bounce against a difficult team in Millwall. We know Millwall are a difficult team to beat. But they've also beat Derby. They invite Villa to Hillsborough and it's all set up for them to beat us. Um, I'm not going to be overly negative because I think Aston Villa on their day should beat Sheffield Wednesday. Yet, they're one of the teams to soundly beat us this season. So I'm not sure what happens there, mate. Uh, again, as you said, it depends so much on Preston, uh, our result against Preston. So I'm really, I'm really can't be uh, think too much into this match, I guess, because we we don't know what this week brings. We don't know if there's any more injuries or if there's any miraculous recoveries, I guess, because there's so much has happened in the space of a, a few days to really make me uncertain about where Villa are heading. Uh, again, we won seven games in a row, so it all depends on Preston, I guess. Uh, any kind of narratives you're picking out for this game, again, as I said so much, it depends on Preston, but what have you got for us? Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking Jack comes back and it's a 2-0 win for Villa and some of the shines back on the month. Like Preston is clearly an unknown, but Wednesday is a game that Villa should be winning. And if Jack is back, and that's me reading between the lines of Bruce, saying that he'll definitely be back by then. And Bruce hasn't said that, and I'm just guessing. But if he comes back, Villa become Villa again, that we've seen lately. And they find the win, and we're back on track. Just to uh, sign off on Sheffield Wednesday, can you just repeat your prediction for us? 2-0. 2-0 to the Villa. Well, I guess 0-2 because they're on the road. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go for... I'll go for 3-1 to Villa. I'm feeling quite off. I felt a bit confident now you said that. I know I'm not alone in uh, predicting it. I think, I think Villa can take it. But man, um, really happy to have uh, previewed the games with you. Unfortunately, we, we are in a, a world of uncertainty when, in regards to Villa now because we don't know how they bounce back because we, we, you know, we have seen a streaky team. You know, a, a, a bunch of losing games is followed by a massive winning streak. A massive winning streak is usually followed by a few stumbles. So we'll really see what we can do against Preston and hopefully get this season right back on track. And I uh, hope you're backing them. Um, if you are, if you are able to go to the game, I suggest you do so. We do need a crowd there, but yeah, follow on ABTV. I think Phil sorted out all the details for you. So it's really just go on our site. You can see what you need to do to uh, follow a you know, Aston Villa when you're away from home, when you're an international audience, but yeah, um, thank you so much for doing that for me. But we, before we go off, mate, um, there was some big news regarding the accounts today. I've had trouble digesting them. I do not. I do not have any idea how to read anything financial, despite my job, which is to do with finances. Um, <laughs> but you, you did raise a few points, and we're not really sure if we're hitting the mark of them. But you, would you mind repeating any of them on the, the podcast? Any ideas you have about the accounts? Yeah, no problem. And this also has to go with the caveat that I'm not an accountant, um, and. They, the club may not be sharing all the information that we really need to understand the full financial picture of the club. What it looks like is the cost curve is bending in the correct direction. The bad news is getting less bad, which is positive. It's still bad news. We're still 
in some financial straits, but things are looking a little bit up. Um, promotion is a must, if not this year, then next year, because then the parachute payments are gone. And then that balance sheet starts to look even worse. And that's really the danger. And ownership has backed this club 100% since uh, the doctor came in. But you spend too long in the championship, and there's the real danger of things just looking hopeless. And then we're back to an ownership that either doesn't have the financial means or doesn't have the interest to continue to stick around. Now, I'm not saying that will happen. I'm saying it's a real danger. But the finances are thick, and I would encourage you to, the listeners, to take a look at them and try to digest as much as they can because it's an important part of following a football club, especially like Aston Villa. The money matters. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. The money really, really does matter. Um, however, I think the narratives have already established. Uh, anything that we could kind of find out from the recon accounts where some of the wages are buried and yeah. the Aston Villa accounts, we already know what happens. Like The worst case scenario is already known to us, and that is to do with everything on the pitch. We always knew we were going to spend lots of money. We always knew it was going to be a slight gamble, which is what really what we had to do to propel us from being such a toxic team to this really positive team. It was only through a purge of the players who weren't doing good enough and uh, you know collating a lot of money to bring in real colourful characters, real people who can drag this team forward. That's what we've got. We know that we'll lose them if we don't go up. We know that we will have struggles, especially two seasons from now. What we can't focus on too much is the, the finances in general because the most important finances that we need to know will be revealed this time next year because this is the year of big spend. This is a year where we, yeah. you know, we've brought Glenn Whelan in, we've brought Alma in, we've brought Snodgrass in on loan, we've brought a number of players in on loan, actually. And, of course, we brought Don Terry in. This is a season where we haven't spent a lot in transfer fees, but where we've kind of splurged on wages, maybe just a little too bit, too much. So uh, it's really important to just focus that this is a year behind. We're not clear on what happens. Yeah. And like, if you look at the, so our two seasons in the championship, the first season, we spent a ton on transfers and a lot of it just didn't work. Um, but the out the output there was massive, but probably less so on the wages. This season, we've seen huge wages, which means if we're still in the championship next year, those wages are still on the books because we're not losing a ton of players this year. We're losing the loans, provided none of them stick around. And some of those are our best players right now. Gabby comes off the book. Mark Bunn comes off the book. I mean, Bunn's clearly not on a ton. And the Gabby contract, the less said about it, the better. Um, so we're not clearing a lot of cash this summer unless we're forced into sales. And that's the real danger of sticking around in the league is how long do players like Adoma stick around? Does Snodgrass stick around for a lower league team? Does Johnstone stick around for a lower league team? And at what price? And in order to turn this money around, either Aston Villa have to change their strategy or they have to get promoted. No, I completely agree, Phil. Uh, we've got a lot of worries, um, especially in the fact that we might not be able to attract those loan players again. Not, you know, Sam Johnson for a third season on loan seems like a, a real big ask of Manchester United. Uh, Twan's away as well. Uh, you know, there's possibility there. Sam Johnson stick stuck around for at least a second season. 
But then you look at players like Scott Hogan, Connor Hurahan, Keenan Davis, uh, James Chester. Uh, I, I'm not, I haven't got much about doubts about Jack Grealish leaving. Uh, you know, I don't think someone's going to make the call. Someone's going to call the club and see. Exactly, and that's that's what you don't want to entice, do you? You want yeah. to get promoted, and don't you don't want to have that question? You know, I I, I don't think he would, um, especially not right now. But I I think it would be you know you'd bring the conversation forward a lot quicker if we don't go up, and that's you know that's not a situation you want to be in. No, and any club that wants it's going to go right to the media and leak that directly to the media. And then we're just going to see complete panic from the Villa Twitter. Oh, yeah. Uh, almost rightly so. Uh, it would be panic, not necessarily re- if we're not promoted this season, but really, really, it would be dire straits if it's not next season. Next season, it'll be essential to be promoted while this season it's almost desirable. Yeah. Next season it is absolutely essential. So let's get it out of the way. Um, let's beat Preston, mate. Let's beat Sheffield Wednesday and get promoted this season. Yeah, next Sunday Next Sunday would be an excellent day if we're two wins from now. Man, Phil, it's been a real pleasure having you on. Um, anywhere people can find you, where do you want them following you? Yeah, on Twitter, I'm PB Vogel. Yeah, that's a V-O-G-E-L, if I yeah, believe as well. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, again, thank you. You can find all his stuff on our 7,500. Uh, I think Phil's main thing is uh, recaps and uh, wrapping up the month and uh, certainly helping out with us deciding who the player of the month is. And uh, you can find, you'll be on our Twitter as well, won't you? You're sometimes uh, jumping in on that and helping out. Yeah, I always, that's always fun to do. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, it is genuinely fun for me to uh, see what the conversation is on there. I don't like much running the uh, official site account. As, as you all know, I think I spoke to this this exact subject earlier. I don't. I didn't want it to become my second account <laughs> where I'm just saying what I say normally. Yeah. So it's good to have, you know, different opinions. And, I, I, you know, I can't thank you enough. So make that public, make that my love for you known. And, no, uh, I appreciate it, man. It's always a pleasure. It's a fun team to be a part of. We'll catch you next week with the Hulkers. Hopefully six points in the bag, but we'll see. Um, as usual, it's Aston Villa. We don't know what's going to happen. But maybe start another, start another winning streak off. So thank you for listening. And uh, we'll catch you next Sunday. Thank you very much and goodbye.